when I was a kid, whenever my family went to church, my dad would often slip me a $1 bill. And I would be like, jackpot. I would be so excited. I thought, I got a dollar. I got a dollar. Hey, 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 hey. I was so pumped. I thought I was so rich. And I thought, man, let's go. If going to church means I get money, come on, let's go. But then he said, Kenneth, this isn't for you. He said, this is for the offering. And I thought, okay. Okay, so I thought, well, what, what are we doing here? My dad was trying to teach me the importance of generosity, the importance of giving. But you see, that dollar was a gift that was not to stop with me. It was for the advancement of the kingdom. It was to give towards something that was much bigger than me, and it's the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth. When we get to Acts chapter 1, we see where the Holy Spirit is given to believers. But the Holy Spirit is given to us, not for our namesake, not for our glory, but for the advancement of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 1. We're beginning a new sermon series as a faith family, walking through this great uh, historical narrative of the history of our church, how the church began uh, 2,000 years ago. We saw the the beauty of the start of this great book, that the sequel to the Gospel of Luke that Luke lays out for us, how chapter uh, volume one is the Gospel of Luke, volume two is the book of Acts. We saw the earthly ministry of Jesus is coming to a close now. It's, it's time to reveal the sequel to the story, and yet this sequel does not end in Acts 28. As we talked about at the end of last week's message, that the the, the message of the gospel and the advancement of the kingdom is continuing to this day all over the world, even to here in this room. Luke sets the stage of his second book by pointing to the ministry of Jesus during the 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension back up into heaven. But before Jesus ascends back up to heaven and sits down at the right hand of the Father, he promises to send the Holy Spirit, who's going to come and be with the apostles in a few days. Notice what the text says here in Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 4. The scripture says, While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. Which, he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. In verse 4, Jesus tells his followers to wait in Jerusalem for the Father's promise. Okay, what is the Father's promise? What is the Holy Spirit? 
Jesus has already taught at length to the disciples who the Holy Spirit is and what he is going to do. He has been preparing his disciples for his departure. And we see in John 14 and John 16 and other places, he taught them about the the role of the Holy Spirit. He tells them right here in verse 5, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. Jesus was pointing forward to Pentecost when the Holy Spirit would fall upon the apostles. The gospel is preached and thousands believe. And yet the disciples still don't quite understand what Jesus is telling them. That's no surprise there, right? As we say the gospels, it repeatedly says the disciples did not understand. The disciples did not understand. The disciples did not understand. Here in verse 6, they still don't understand. Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? From the apostles' perspective, man, Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's promising the Holy Spirit. It's time for Israel's final salvation, right? Jesus, it's time to overthrow Rome. It's time to kick those guys out of our nation. It's time for you to set up your earthly kingdom rule and reign. Is this the time? Because boy, are we ready. You've, you've died, you've risen. Man, this is our time. And Jesus is saying, guys, you aren't quite getting it. You see, their, their, their desire is for political influence. The disciples are thinking, man, let's set up our kingdom. Man, let's protect our borders. Let's get ourselves ready because the time for our king to be here is now. But Jesus here is telling them it's not about you guys to know about when this is going to pl- take, take place. Now note that Jesus doesn't say it's never going to happen. In fact, there is coming a day in which Jesus will return to earth and he will set up his earthly kingdom and he will sit on David's throne forever. It's coming. Jesus will return. His kingdom will be established. But he's got something bigger in mind at this point right here. He's like, guys, it doesn't matter about those times that are coming. The Father knows when those things are going to happen. You see, from their perspective, it's time to overthrow Rome. It's time to reestablish the power and the glory of Israel the way that David did. But instead, Jesus is pointing to mission. He's pointing to the advancement of the gospel. You see, the day when the kingdom comes, it's going to be decided by the Father. But verse 8, as for you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So I want you to notice this morning in the text, the mission that Jesus left for his followers, that's us, and how we can join him. First, it begins with this, number one, you must receive the who of the mission. The who of the mission. Verse eight, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. As Jesus is pointing his apostles away from reestablishing the glory of Israel, he is pointing them forward to when the Holy Spirit will come upon them. Jesus, who is the true prophet, proves himself to be true and right. For in a matter of 10 days at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls upon the disciples. We see, he says, this is what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And we see in the next chapter, in Acts chapter 2, indeed, that's what takes place. It's amazing how the Spirit of God falls upon God's people. Peter stands up to preach. He fishes for men. He calls people to repent. 3,000 believe. The church is born. The mission moves forward. You see, the Spirit of God is the power of God on display in the book of Acts. 
this week, I counted 57 times the Holy Spirit is referenced in the book of Acts. All right, so what does the Holy Spirit do? I put this in your notes. Uh, it's going to be up on the screen. The, the scripture references, are there's too many of them, so they're not going to be on the screen, but they're in your Westwood app. I wanted to lay out before you this morning 20 different things that the Holy Spirit does for you. Okay, we're going to unpack this just one, one by one. Now, if you want the scripture references, they're on the Westwood app, and you can get those there. Uh, but I, I want to start with this. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he. Over and over throughout the New Testament, Jesus refers to the Spirit as a he. He will be your comforter. He will be your guide. He is the third person of the Trinity. He's co-equal with the Father and with the Son. He is equal in power and glory. The Father and the Son and the Spirit have three different roles, three different responsibilities and tasks that they do, and yet they're all equally one God. But what does the Holy Spirit do? I put this in your notes. I'll lay these out for you, and we'll go through them one by one. Number one, the Spirit lives inside believers. The Spirit lives inside believers. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God. The moment you believe the gospel, whether you were five years old or 85 years old, the Holy Spirit came and began to live inside of you permanently. When you look in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit does not abide or reside upon people permanently. We see where the Holy Spirit will come upon someone and then he leaves. But post-resurrection through Acts chapter two, we see where the Spirit of God comes and he stays. Indeed, he, he keeps you. He lives inside of you permanently. Paul says it like this in Galatians 2.20. For I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. We see where the Spirit comes and lives inside of all who trust in Christ. The second thing the Spirit does is the Spirit points to Jesus. And John 15, Jesus says, when the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And John 16, 14, Jesus says, he, speaking of the spirit, will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Whenever you and I, whether we're by ourselves or with our family or in a small group or in a big worship gathering like this, and our hearts and our minds are directed toward Jesus, that's the Spirit. The Spirit of God is taking the truth about Jesus and He's driving you to Him. The Spirit testifies to Jesus. So as you hear someone bring the Word of God and bring it to bear upon your life and they're testifying to Christ, the Holy Spirit is saying, that's right. That's true. I affirm that. It's driving you to Jesus. You see, my heart as your pastor is to continually shine the spotlight upon Christ. We look unto him. And there's this, um, I'm a loud person. I get it. That's part of my makeup. And Christy oftentimes is like, do you realize that you make noise when you're reading your Bible? 
And whenever I listen to someone else preach and they're really good and they're, they're just making much of Christ, I sit there and I'm like, mm, yes, sir. I, make, I grunt, y'all, I grunt. That's what I do. I don't know. I don't recognize it. Well, the spirit of God within me is saying, that's right. That's pointing me to Christ. That is who I was made for. That's who came and gave his life for me. That's the one who I want to give my life to because of all he's done for me in the gospel. Well, that is the spirit of God working in me. And so as you hear preaching, when you listen to someone proclaim the word of God and they're pointing to Christ and they're exalting Christ, they're not exalting you. They're not talking about how awesome you are. They're talking about how awesome Jesus is. The spirit's going to say, that's right. Jesus is awesome. We see number three, the Spirit gives us faith. The Spirit gives us faith. In John chapter three, Jesus has a late night conversation with Nicodemus. And he says, you must be born again. There has to be a transformation that takes place in your heart in order for you to get into the kingdom. Jesus says in John 3, 5, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, He cannot enter the kingdom of God. The Spirit is the one who plants the faith that you have into your heart. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, where he says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The faith that you have is from the Lord. He is the one who's planted the faith within you. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So it's the Spirit of God who plants our faith within us. Number four, the Spirit convicts of sin. For unbelievers, the Holy Spirit takes the law of God and reveals to the hearts of those who don't know Christ, how they have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the Spirit not only convicts them, He shows them their need for a Savior and points to Jesus. But the Spirit also works within believers in a similar way. When you and I sin as believers, the Holy Spirit is grieved, Paul says in Ephesians. There is a conviction within your heart. You're like, oh, man, what what am I doing? Why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I think that? What's going on? There's this struggle. We see it in Romans 7 where Paul is saying, I don't do the things that I should, and then I do the things that I shouldn't. You ever feel that way? It's just like, man, I've been following Jesus for this many years, and I'm still doing these same stupid things. You see, I think the mark of a believer is not the fact that you uh, are, it, it, I think it's found in the fact that you're, you're struggling. The fact that you are, you are seeking to be holy, you're pursuing Christ, and you feel a conviction when you sin. That's a mark that you're a son. That's a mark that you belong to Jesus. Several years ago, a friend of mine in Kentucky had gotten involved in some really bad sin and I went to go and have a dinner with him. And when we sat down, he just expressed to me just this a shame and embarrassment and self-hatred. And just like, Kenneth, I can't believe I did this. And I said, buddy, let me encourage you with this. The fact that you feel gr- guilt is grace. 
Because the guilt means that you are a son. Hebrews 12 says that God disciplines those he loves. And he disciplines those who are in the family. You see, guilt is grace when it leads us to Jesus. When you find yourself falling into sin, not if, when, because we're not redeemed completely yet. When you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit upon your life, that's God's way of saying, you're my son. You're my daughter. You belong to me. As parents, when our children start acting a fool, it's our responsibility to step up in discipline. Yesterday, we were at a soccer game, and I, I saw a kid acting a fool, and what I started doing, I started looking for the kid's parents. Where's he at? Where are they at? This is your job, not mine. I'm happy to do so, but it is not my job because he's not my kid. A mark that you're God's kid is he disciplines you. Which means when you sin, there is just this conviction that comes upon your life. It's not that you feel bad because you, because you got caught. Like, oh no. You see, if someone doesn't feel conviction of sin, it means they're not a believer. If you're in Christ, there's guilt that comes upon you, but it's not guilt that stays. It's a guilt that drives you to a bloodstained cross. It takes you straight to Jesus. It's saying, Lord, here I am again. I'm so sorry. I know you love me, and I don't want to keep doing this. And so once again, Lord, I repent, and I want to return back to you for grace. And for most of us, we're harder on ourselves than the Lord is. We, we beat ourselves up over and over and over for sin that we commit. And the Lord's like, listen, I want you to look unto me, and I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to empower you to move forward. You keep trusting in me. This is what we do as followers of Christ. As we grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, the longer you follow Jesus, the more you fall in love with him, the closer you grow to him. But I, I've said this before. I thought when I would turn 30, I would have the Bible memorized and I wouldn't sin anymore. And I'm a few months away from my 40th birthday and I don't have the Bible memorized and I feel an even greater weight for my sin. And though my sin is not egregious and big and noticeable like the way the world sees sin, my sin is hidden deep in my heart. And I have to regularly repent and confess it and bring it to Jesus and say, Lord, here I am again. But I thank you that you love me, you're with me. And that is the Holy Spirit driving me to Jesus. And when you feel conviction, not condemnation, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. But a conviction of the Spirit, it means you're a son. It means you're a daughter. And the weight of your sin is driving you to a blood-stained cross where once again we continually keep going until we get to go see those nail-scarred hands for ourselves. Fifthly, the Spirit frees us from sin. The Spirit frees us from sin. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.17, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Maybe for some of you, you've been walking in the bondage of sin. You keep going back and back and back. And you're like, where do I go for freedom? Jesus. 
Well, who's taking you there? The Spirit. He is the one who cuts the chains of bondage in our lives. Number six, the Spirit conforms us to Jesus. This is what the Spirit does. As as you daily deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow Christ, the Spirit is shaping your character. He's changing your thinking. He's changing your feeling. You're becoming a new person because the Spirit is at work. We see this in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, where Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are not characteristics of God that we muster, that we work on, that we create in and of ourselves. It's the fruit of the Spirit. As we abide in Jesus, as we spend time with Jesus, He begins to create those things in us. It's not trying harder, it's trusting more. It's leaning in upon Jesus. And as we rest in Him, the Spirit begins to conform us into the image of Christ. This is what the Spirit does. He changes us. There are people in your life who see you and you're like, man, you don't talk like you used to. You don't act like you used to. I mean, what's different? Something's changed. Well, what's the answer? The Spirit. The Spirit now lives inside of you, and He's changing who you are. Y'all, I'll look back upon my life before I knew Jesus, and I was an idiot, and I was arrogant, and I was a jerk, and yet the Lord, by His grace, is slowly changing me. Those old Marks of Kenneth Bruce are still there and they have to be crucified daily. But what I love is that as I grow closer to Jesus, he's changing me. I don't talk the way I used to. I don't act the way I used to. I don't think the way I used to. What has happened? The Spirit of God. Do people look at your life and ask, what's different about you? What's changed? Well, your answer is the Spirit. He has changed you. Seventh, The Spirit encourages us. In order for y'all to get out by lunch, I'm going to have to go faster. The Spirit encourages us. When you go through hardship and pain and suffering, when you're like, oh, I don't know if I can face another day. Well, the Spirit comes and He encourages you. He gives you strength. He reminds you of the gospel. He tells you who you are in Christ. He gives you joy and peace. He begins to work within you. And He's reminding you, you're mine. You belong to me and you are loved. And you're going to get through this. I'm going to give you purpose and strength and grace to move forward. Number eight, the Spirit strengthens us. As you are weak, the Spirit is strong. In fact, if you want to be strong, you've got to realize how weak you are. Oftentimes we think, man, if I've got this, we're in big trouble. And the Lord reminds us, you need to know how much you need me. See, your strength as a believer is not found in how strong you think you are, but understanding how weak you are and strong he is in you. Ooh, it is in my weakness, Paul says, that he is made strong. Number nine, the Spirit sanctifies us. Sanctifies us. You see that word all throughout Scripture, sanctify, sanctification. It's the process of becoming like Jesus. That's what the word means, sanctification. It's the process of becoming more like Jesus. It's what the Spirit's doing. Number 10, the Spirit teaches us Scripture. Have you ever been reading your Bible one day and all of a sudden just a verse pops off the page and you think, how have I missed that? Where did that come from? Well, it's the Spirit's. 
He is teaching you the word. He's illumining your mind to understand the word. The more you study the Bible, the spirit begins to take the words of this book. It's living and active. This book breathes and the spirit who wrote the book is now speaking into your life and affirming what is true and right. And he begins to teach you what the word says. Number 11, the spirit secures and confirms our salvation. I love how Jesus says in John 14, I will ask the father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it does not see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. The beauty of the gospel is that if you are in Christ, you are secured in Jesus. Paul says it in Ephesians 1, that the spirit of God has sealed you until the day of redemption. Jesus says like this, and was it John 10, where he says, no one can snatch you out of my hand. The spirit of God grabs hold of you and says, I ain't letting go. You belong to me. The spirit of God is inside of you forever, y'all. If you're in Christ, he's not leaving. He's not gonna say, listen, you tried, but I'm out. He doesn't shame you and say, why would you sin like that again? I'm out of here and leave. He doesn't do that. No, he stays. He secures and confirms your salvation. Number 12, I gotta go fast. The spirit loves us. You can see all the notes in, in, in the Westwood app. Number 13, the spirit unifies the church. I'm trying to go fast, y'all. I know you're hungry. Number 14, the Spirit enables us to pray. Oh my goodness, I need more time. Number 15, the Spirit enables us to preach. Why am I pounding the pulpit? Number 16, the Spirit empowers us to defeat sin. Oh man, the victory. Man, I, I, I love how the Spirit enables me to say no to sin. Because I'm put in the moment of temptation like all of us are. And it's in that moment I've got to say, okay, Lord, am I going to go according to the flesh? Galatians 5 or according to the Spirit? Okay, so Lord, Romans 8, I'm going to put to death the deeds of the body. And by the Spirit, I'm going to, I'm going to walk in your, your truth. And the Spirit enables me to say no to sin. And internally, I get really excited and I start collecting wins. Some of you have been dealing with the same sin for a really long time. I want to encourage you, when you have that next victory over that sin, celebrate. Be like, mm, let's go. Collect a win. Okay, so for what I do, this sounds really crazy. This is the way I think. I think I just got a championship trophy over that. I'm collecting wins. I want to hang more trophies. I want to hang banners in the arena of my life of pointing to the grace of Jesus and so it's not me who's killing sin. It's the spirit of God in me who's enabling me to say no to sin. You know what happens? The more you defeat that sin in your life, the more victory you get, you gain momentum. You go on a winning streak. And all of a sudden, the defeat of that sin gets easier the more that you fight it and put it to death. And then the enemy will find something new in your life to tempt you with. And then you have to say, okay, Lord, here's something new. I got to put to death this new thing. And it's like whack-a-mole. You just keep knocking it down. Then the next thing pops up and then you go after that. And you keep fighting with the sword of the spirit. You keep chopping away saying, Lord, I want victory in you. Number 17, the spirit gives us gifts to serve the church. If you're a believer in Jesus, the Holy Spirit has given you a spiritual gift, at least one. One day we'll get to 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 and we're gonna unpack the spiritual gifts that God gives to every believer. 
All of us are different. Each of our gifts are different. But all of us have been given at least one gift, if not many gifts, to use to build the church, to invest in people. We see number 18, the Spirit gives us wisdom and guidance. You're sitting here thinking, I don't know what to do in this situation. My son is making bad choices. What do I do? My employee is stealing from us. How do I respond? My marriage is not going well. What do I do? The Spirit gives you wisdom. You lean upon Him. Number 19, the Spirit raises us on the last day. Romans 8, 11, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then He will also give life to your mortal bodies. Oh, come on now. So physically, you and I are going to die. There's come a point in which our bodies are physically going to get out. But there's coming a day where the Spirit is going to give life to our mortal bodies. The Spirit is going to take what's dead and He's going to make it alive. Last one, number 20. The Spirit gives us power to witness. This is what Luke is saying in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And you will receive power. The, the Greek word is dynamo. Kind of like the power. It's yours in the Spirit of God. You have that inside of you. Now, you may wake up tomorrow morning feeling groggy and eating coffee and saying, I don't feel power. It's not based on how you feel. The Spirit of God is the power of God living inside of you. And he takes that permanent residence. He keeps you. You see, you and I have had someone full of the Spirit come and share the gospel with us. And the Spirit took the words of the gospel that they were saying, and it came into our ears. And it went into our ears, and the Spirit then take that, took that message and put it into our hearts. And the Spirit then convicted us of our sin. And the Spirit then pointed us to Jesus. And then the Spirit changed our hearts. And then the Spirit enabled us to say, Jesus, I believe upon you. And the Spirit then took up residence inside of us. And then the Spirit began to change us. And the Spirit is the one who now lives inside of you. And when you go to your neighbor, your, your children, your, your class, your business place, and you go and you share the gospel, the Spirit then takes your words and He takes them and He begins to work in the ears and the hearts of those who listen. And the process repeats itself over and over and over again. Now, sometimes you share the gospel and you see no visible, tangible evidence that anything's happening. But you're planting seeds. And the Spirit takes the word and he begins to work in that person's heart. And that's what's happened with you. It's the power of the Spirit. He is the who of the mission that you receive when you believe the gospel. Number two, we must obey the what of the mission. Verse eight. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. Jesus tells his apostles, and he tells us today, that when you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, he then enables you to witness, to verbally declare the gospel. That you open your mouth. That word for witness is similar to the word for martyr. It's someone who testifies to the truth even under the threat of death. 
Even though someone may try to take your life for declaring the truth, we are not those who shrink back. We are not those who wince and retreat. We stand firm and we point to what we know is true. That we are a people who are a witness to the power of the gospel because we are those who have received the power of the gospel. This is why we as a faith family are pointing this spring to the scent strategy. This year, this, uh, this uh, next several months through the month of May, we've got month by month new things that we're challenging our entire church to do. The first thing is we're going to pray, just as we did earlier in the services. We're praying for unbelievers by name that they would come to faith in Christ. We have these names up on the wall. We'll have an, a prayer wall out in the hallway, a, a, a prayer wall in which we're praying for people by name who don't know Jesus. You are intentionally praying for people in your life, coworkers, neighbors, employees, people in your class who are far from Jesus. And you're praying, God, would you open their hearts to believe? Then starting next month, we're going to have what's called the Great Cookie Adventure. We're challenging you to take cookies to your neighbors. You want to go door to door and listen, we're not selling anything. We're just offering. We want to, we want to know we made cookies. We live right down here at 358 and we want to, just let, we want to get to know you. I'm Kenneth. This is Christy. We want, to, we want to get to know you and know your family. Very casual conversation. And then from there in the month of March, we want you to invite them to come have dinner at your house. Over a plate of spaghetti or whatever it is you like to make, you sit down and have meal together. The pandemic has caused us, all of us, to shut our doors and live on social media. That's not the real world, y'all. We've got to get back to knowing our neighbors. It's about people. And so we want to encourage you to put the phone down, open up your door, and let's get involved in people's lives. And so you sit down and have a meal together. It's amazing how a meal can break down barriers in people's hearts. Then in the month of April, we want to encourage you to invite people, your neighbors, that you've gotten to know their names through the cookies, so they've been to your house, or you've been out to a restaurant together for a meal. We want you to challenge you and invite them to bring them to church with you. Let them sit and experience what it's like to be here. Many people have never been to church, or if they have, they did not have a good experience. We want people to come and hear the gospel and have a chance to experience the work of the Spirit as God's people love Jesus and love one another. Easter is a great weekend to invite neighbors to come and to sit with you and to, to worship so they might hear the gospel and, and hear the gospel being sung over them. And then in the month of May, we want to challenge you to share your testimony with your neighbors. You've taken them cookies, you've had a meal, they've been to church with you. We want you to take time to share your story of how you came to faith in Christ. Starting next Sunday, in all of our life groups, ages fourth grade all the way up through senior adults, we're going to be teaching you how to share your testimony and to share the gospel. We want to equip you so that you can know how to share the gospel with your neighbors. We want to take away any excuse that you might feel, man, I don't know how to do this. We're going to teach you. We're going to help you know how to do this. In fact, if you're not in a life group, I would encourage you, just a moment, we're dismissed. You get a chance to go to a life group and you get to connect with other believers, build those relationships, find people you can do life with, but you're also going to be equipped throughout the month of February for how you can grow in Christ, how you can share your testimony and point someone to Jesus. Why? Because of verse 8. We want all of our church to be witnesses throughout Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. That we declare the beauty of Jesus. How awesome would it be if our entire church said for each of us, we said, I want this year, Lord, would you give me at least one person I can lead to Christ? 
God, would you give me one person, at least one, if not many, that I can lead to faith in you? And then you get to get in the water with them and help baptize them. And we get to celebrate Jesus and what he's doing in them through the work that he's done in you. I want to lay that before you as a challenge. But we want to continually be thinking outward that there are people who are far from God and the Lord wants us to be about the what, to obey the what of this mission, which is to be witnesses. Thirdly, we see in the text that we are to go to the where of the mission. Verse eight, he says, in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What's happening here at the end of verse eight? Jesus is laying out the strategy for world witness. What begins in Jerusalem will expand out into the region of Judea, all throughout the countryside around Jerusalem. And then it's going to expand out to the northern country land of Samaria. And from there, it's going to expand out even farther to the ends of the earth. In fact, I want to challenge you this week to memorize Acts 1.8. I want you to memorize Acts 1.8. Why? Because we're going to keep coming back to it. Verse 8 is the springboard that the rest of the gospel comes from. And it's like this. The gospel witness in Jerusalem, we see in Acts chapters 1 through 7. The gospel witness in Judea and Samaria, we see that in Acts chapters 8 through 12. And then we see the gospel witness to the end of the earth in Acts 13 through 28. Now, this is a picture of what we're to be about as followers of Christ. We're a people that we begin in our Jerusalem, right here in our community, right here in the Shelby County area. And then we expand out into our Judea, the the state of Alabama. We want to continue to impact people here within our state. And then we expand out even farther into Samaria, the United States, in which God's planted us. And then we go out even farther to the ends of the earth. This is the concentric circles that we see here of verse 8 that we can go and live out. Well, Kenneth, how can I do that? What does that look like for me? Well, I put it in your impact point, and it's this. It's three simple things. Pray, give, and go. As we pray as God's people, he loves to hear us pray, and he loves to reach the lost through the prayers of his people. And you're praying for unbelievers by name. You're praying for the nations. You're praying that God would do a work in the hearts of churches all throughout our community and beyond. You give, you financially invest in the advancement of the gospel, that it's through your generous and faithful giving right here at Westwood. One of the things we're going to do here in just a few moments, we're going to invite the kids to come in and they're going to bring a Lottie Moon mission offering and lay it here at the altar. Today's the last day in which we're taking up our offering for the Lottie Moon mission offering because we want to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth. We give and then we go. I want to challenge you, get your passport ready. Be looking for opportunities to go to the nations, but it also begins right here at home where you go across the street. You go to your neighbors, people who are far from Jesus. Y'all, somebody, through the power of the Spirit, shared the gospel with you, and you believed. Let's do the same thing for others. To love our neighbor so well that we are full of the Spirit, we take the gospel, and we ask for him to work in their hearts, and it would go and impact the entire world for Jesus. 